Hey guys, welcome back to the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. I'm your co-host Perry, playing host today, and joined as always by the founder and host of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. Luke, what's going on, man? Not much, brother. Just uh, looking forward to taking a back seat on this one and letting you kind of run the show. Yeah, yeah, it should be interesting. We'll see how it goes. You just kind of sprung that on me a minute ago. Said, said you wanted me to drive the ship today, so. I'll give it my best effort. See what happens. Yeah, I figured the uh, the listeners might get tired of me droning on all the time, and especially since today we're gonna probably be talking a little bit about my Texas hunt. I figure it makes the most sense for you to kind of drive. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good to me. Here, uh, here, y'all got a bunch of snow that way. Yeah, uh, Colorado is getting hammered right now. It's not quite as bad down where I'm at. I'm kind of southeast of the springs, but up in Denver. In the North Colorado Springs, they have like several feet. We got about, I don't know, 10, maybe 12 inches. Um, there's some drifts that are over a foot, but for the most part, it's not too bad. We are supposed to get another seven inches tonight, so we'll see how that goes. That's crazy, man. It was 70 degrees here at my house today, and it's been it's been consistently in the 60s and 70s. I was running around with the kids out in the backyard all weekend in shorts, tennis shoes, playing, playing uh, baseball and hanging out with them. So definitely can't relate to the snow, but, um, but yeah, so definitely wanted to dive in a little bit to the, um, to your Texas adventure. Um, I know, I know you had a, had a good time down there and I'm sure all the listeners are going to be anxious to hear, um, how that went. So why don't you just kick it off, give the guys and gals listening a little bit of background about the group that you were down there with, how it all came to be. And then um, I know Evan had originally, he originally planned to go on that hunt with you and he was going to join us for today's episode, but he had some work engagements that ended up conflicting with both of those things. So I know that didn't, didn't work out exactly like you planned, but just give the, give the people listening a little bit of background and then we can kind of dive into the, the trip. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the same group of fellas um, that I talked about on the podcast where I talked about the Texas whitetail hunt. So I got invited to go back down there to go after pigs. They've got some fellas that like to run dogs in the area. So they'll bring them out there to the farm ranch. It's not really a ranch, but we call it the ranch. Um, and just to run run the, the dogs after the pigs. And then when you're running, just a little background on the, you know, kind of the, the practice itself the dogs will get a hold of the pigs and kind of bay them up. And when that happens, you don't want to be shooting around the dogs. And so the kind of the most effective way to kill them is to then you you grab the pig by the hind leg to get it up off the ground and basically keep it from being able to turn around back on you. And then you you stab it basically right where you would shoot it. That lower, you shoot a pig a little lower than you shoot a deer because they got this big hunk of fat on their shield from where they've evolved with fighting, but you want to stab them a little lower right behind the shoulder, try to get both lungs and the heart and then bleed them. And then, uh, yeah, you, you kill the pigs that way. And it's just, it's so chaotic with the dogs running around. You, you really don't want to be slinging any shots because you have a high likelihood of hitting a dog or even hitting a person. Cause there's always a lot of people and it's pretty chaotic, but so they invited me down. Um, it was kind of a shit show from the start. I get off work. I'm heading up to the Colorado Springs airport get on the plane. And as I'm like getting to the airport, my buddy's driving me up. We start getting a snowstorm out of nowhere. It was supposed to rain that day. 
we started like you see Matt probably the biggest snowflakes we've ever seen just like coming down. And so we get delayed, you know, whatever. And then we continue to get delayed. And then we continue to get delayed. I'm like, fuck. So I just missed my connector flight in Dallas. And they start de-icing the plane. And they de-ice the plane. We start taxiing out. And then they stop. And they're like, the guy that was de-icing the plane just sprayed AC or sprayed the de-icer into the AC. And so we don't know how long it's going to be. And so we Damn. have to de-plane. Yeah. <laughs> so then we deplane and then they won't tell us like they keep shifting the flight back. And finally they tell us that they're going to cancel it, but they don't actually cancel it in the system. So I can't reschedule my flight. And there's a massive wait. You can't, I mean, it was just, I could, there, there was one more flight that day and what I should have done, and this will be a pro tip for anybody in the future. If that ever happens to you, don't try to reschedule your current flight. Go ahead, call, make a new reservation for the other flight separately. And then when that flight gets canceled, you can cancel that whole flight for free. And if I had done that, I would have been able to get on the flight. I was trying to reschedule my current flight. And that's almost impossible to do in that type of situation. So if you're trying to jump on a connector, immediately reschedule the flight, especially if you're going through a third party, uh, which I use American Express Travel. And if I had done that, it would have been made it way, way quicker and way easier. I could have gotten on that second flight. The way it sat, there was no more flights going out of the springs. So I had to run home. We'll call at first I had to call a buddy to come leave work to come pick me up, take me back to the house. Then I jumped in the truck. Then I had to drive two and a half hours in a snowstorm up to Denver. And I literally got to the gate as they were finishing boarding. It was like the scene out of fucking uh, 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 Home Alone where I'm like running through the airport trying to get to the <laughs> gate. It's crazy. Yeah, sounds chaotic as hell. You were. Uh... I remember you were texting me or I think you tried to call me at one point and give me the update. And I was, I was busy with work stuff and it sounds like it was absolutely crazy though. It's, it's one of those things and you've flown way more, especially recently, way more than I have. I'm sure there's, once you kind of navigate the, the airlines and the system a little bit, you kind of figure out what to do and kind of some of those adverse situations that you're not expecting, but sounds like, sounds like it all worked out in the end and your buddy was able to come get you and you made that, that last second flight and were able to get out to Texas. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely costed, cost me a little more. I had to completely cancel the American Airlines flight, which flying American Airlines, I haven't really had any problems, but it's just never a great experience. They're just not the best airline. And this was the first time where I was like, fuck this. I don't want to fly American anymore. Um, and then I ended up flying United out and it cost a little more. And then I had to park, leave my truck in the Denver parking lot, you know, for the whole weekend. So that was like $120 in parking. So, I mean, is what it is. Like, huh. But it was definitely kind of a kick in the nuts to have to spend the extra couple hundred bucks. Luckily, because the other thing was there was no more, that flight was getting into Houston so late, all the rental car services in Houston close at 10 p.m. And my flight was getting there at 11. And it's like, if you know there's flights coming in, why the hell would you not have 24-hour rental car service? Yeah, I don't understand what they expect people to do in that situation if if they're closed when, when flights are landing. Yeah, I don't either. But luckily... Caleb, um, a lot of y'all might know him through our Instagram and stuff, but he's one of our team members. We'd actually never met in person. I just kind of knew him through the gram and I, I called him up and was like, Hey dude, like you care if I crash with you, we'd already planned on meeting up later, uh, in the weekend. And he was like, yeah, dude, absolutely. So he picked me up from the airport, waited there for like 30 minutes. Cause our flight was a little late and cause of the snow, we had a de-ice coming out of Denver and, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, he was definitely hooked it up. 
actually don't know. You guys might have already heard the podcast with Caleb and Garrett. Um, an episode or two, we we did one at the end of this hunt, and uh, I called it off the rails in Texas because holy shit, that podcast is wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that myself. It's, you, you tell me about it. It's gonna be sounds like it's gonna be fascinating. Yeah, I don't I don't Say know which least. one. Yeah, I don't know which one's going to get published first, this one or one of those two or both of those two. Uh, judging by the, how busy I've been of, of late and getting these podcasts edited, this one should be easier to edit. So this one might come out first and then we'll post the other two on the tail end because they're not really related to the hunt. They're just us bullshitting in Texas. But it's right. uh, it's pretty funny. Like those two are wild. And then we were drinking and then you try to you factor in like the booze and then them us all being together we could not stay on topic to save our lives we were going down some fucking rabbit holes but it, it was fun. i mean it's entertaining you know it's not it's not all applicable exactly to hunting lifting and eating but who gives a shit yeah no sometimes sometimes it's good especially when well, i mean heck we've noticed with ourselves when we're in person you start talking about something and then the conversation just trails off next thing you know you find yourself talking about something completely different we we've done that ourselves you know on even with the with the remote, the remote episodes. So I'm sure that that can happen when all three of you sitting together in the same room. So, um, where, where was he coming from? Is he, I don't even remember where he lives or how he lives in Houston. He lives probably 20 minutes from the airport. Gotcha. Well, that, was, so that, that worked it, out it was, nice. Yeah. it's pretty convenient and he didn't have to go too far. Um, but yeah, then I stayed with him. <laughs> we stayed up way too, way too late. It was like our first time meeting in person. So of course we had some drinks and, kind of stayed up like catching up and just like swapping stories stayed up to about two thirty or three. And then I had to wake up at six to go get that rental car. We were, we were dragging. So I had to pound a couple cups of coffee, grab the rental car. And it's about an hour and a half from Houston up to, it's a small little town on, on the lake called Alaska, just North of Houston there. And that's where the, uh, the property is and rolled up. I got there. They were all already out chasing pigs. So I got in, they came back for, to pick me up, jumped in a side by side and off we went. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. So what's the process look like when you go out there, they were already out there running with the dogs by the time you got there. So I guess they, I mean, how did they, I mean, I've never hunted with dogs period, let alone with, you know, chasing hogs. What's the process like to get the dogs kind of set up and get them on the hogs? Is it something where they have they have bait out, they kind of know the location or are they actually out there trying to track them? How's it work? Yeah. So you're trying to track them. You're actually driving around looking for fresh tracks. Uh, in the morning you'll drive to the feeders where, you know, the feeders are looking for fresh track for a fresh track. And so you've got, you've got two different types of dogs, your bay dogs and your, your catch dogs. And I might be getting these backwards, but I think this is right. The bay dogs are the, the hunters. They're like the tracking dogs. They're the, the sniffers. These things are all like hound cur mixes. They get a lot of them from like the pounds and stuff. They, they go through these dogs. They get, it, these aren't pets. These aren't, you know, dogs that they have a lot of emotional attachment to. Cause these things get pretty, they can get pretty fucked up from the pigs. Um, but man, this, all these dogs want to do is go after those pigs. Like if you don't let them out, like you'll let some of them out and after the other, the, the ones you don't let out are just losing their minds inside their kennels, just trying to get after them. So, I mean, they have the drive. That's all they want to do. So you let the hunters out and they're just nose to the ground looking for the trap. And they'll backtrack. They'll run, you know, all, all over the place trying to get on that. But once they hit that track, they'll just let out a, a yelp or, a, you know, some sort of yelp bark thing. And usually they'll all kind of get on. They kind of get online and they'll just start going through. And then 
you let them go and they'll, they've all got GPS collars on. And so the handlers will sit there and watch the GPSs and somehow they can just tell by the way the dogs are positioned, whether they got them bayed. And so when they have them bayed, they'll let us know. And then as soon as you find out they're bayed, like it's game on. Is there any difference in how the dogs are barking or how, you know, any, are they making different sounds when they're actually on the track versus once they actually locate a pig and, and actually have it, you know, either, either in their sight or at least very, you know, they feel like very close. Was there any distinguishable difference there? Yeah, um, for sure. And I think it's one of those things too, like the, the guys that were running the dogs, they really know each individual dog a little bit better and they start to learn that. And they learn their sounds because they're not all the same. Because they would be like, like there's one like Ruby, and they'd be like, "Oh, Ruby's on it, like she's got one." And you're like, "I thought that sounded exactly the same, you know." But they they can know, and they know the subtle differences between like a, a bark if they're on the track, a bark if they're on a pig, and a bark if they got them bayed. They're all different. Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard I've heard guys that run dogs chasing coons, or um, you know, any number of species that you can hunt with dogs, and in, in some places talk about how once you learn that dog, you you can identify where it is at whatever specific point in the chase or the hunt based on, you know, based on the pitch of the bark or the type of bark that it's making. It's always been fascinating to me. I've never, never experienced that personally, but it's something that I definitely like to do at some point. Yeah, it's cool. I'm uh, just watching them work. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then the, the, the Bay dogs, most of them aren't very really big, but man, <laughs> especially when they get on the babies, dude, they will fuck those things up. They, they, we got on a lot of them, especially that first day. Like we got like probably three or four on some of the younger ones, and like the, the younger ones were already dead by the time we got there. Um, the dogs had killed them. Oh wow! And so, like, if you get you get them bayed, let's say it's a bigger pig, and the bay dogs bay them up, then you got the catch dogs, which are they call them bulldogs. All all the ones I saw were like pits or pit mixes, um, real big, muscular, you know, kind of pit bull looking dogs. And dude, sweetest dogs in the world. Like you're sitting there like playing with them and you know, they just want to lick you and they'll whine when you walk away. But goddamn, when they're on a pig, like Dave, one of the guys that, that, that kind of like heads up this trip and kind of coordinates it all for all the, the vets. He's a big dude. This dude's like six, five, probably two seventy, And this like 65 pound pit bull is like pulling him through the woods. Like he's about to fall over. Like, it's crazy. Like, these things are just all they want to do is get on those pigs. You let them off and just boom, they just, they're just going. And uh, it's pretty wild to see when they when they hit them. And, dude, they, they'll fight those fucking hogs, zero fear. And they'll get cut up. Like, they got Kevlar on their, on their collars and the Kevlar vests on. But they were telling me, I think it was like a week or two before they had gone out on the hunt. And there's, they hit like a 245-pound pig that killed four of their dogs. I think Holy they killed the, four of the bay dogs, but yeah, because the bay dogs don't have armor on because they're running around too much. They get fucking smoked, right? And so when they if they like get in on them, fighting them, like they'll get they'll get cut up. And the bay dogs apparently get killed quite a bit, but it's kind of wild. That's interesting. What's so they're actually wearing like legit Kevlar armor, like body armor, it's like a little vest that goes on over top of them, protects their underside, kind of thing. Yep. So on the neck, think of it just like a very broad, they'll still have like a normal leather collar, but under that collar is like a sheath type thing and it goes around. Um, it's probably about three, four inches just to cover up their whole neck. And yeah, it's got Kevlar uh, fibers in it. 
and then around their chest and their torsos, they've got Kevlar. And so those, when they're thrashing those cutters, don't freaking get them. Cause they do care a little bit more about the bullies. Like when they got a good, good catch dog, um, like they had one that is kind of like a house pet. His name's Tonto. Dude, this thing, this thing had muscles on his fucking forehead, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, he was like the stereotypical, like prize pit bully, the cropped ears, black, like big old jowl. Like his jowls were like fucking huge. Like he was a ripped dog. And, uh, yeah, I'd say that they have some money in him too. So that they don't want, you know, they they care a little bit more about him versus grabbing the, you know, $25 shelter dogs that they use. Yeah, that's that's wild. I was gonna I was gonna ask if they actually gave a little bit more preference to the ones that were actually going in there, and especially if they're all picking a particular breed, those pit bulls invest a little bit more in the protection, and try to keep them from getting so banged up. How much do those uh, vests weigh? Like, is it is it weighing the dog down, or is it are they pretty light? Dude, those dogs are so fucking muscular. I don't think they noticed, man. They, like they they didn't seem to slow them down at all. I don't think they're that yeah. heavy. I don't think it's like wearing like plates or nothing, but yeah, I mean, they do, they didn't get, seem to be phased at all. Sounds like those dogs are so hopped up on adrenaline. So ready for the, for the kill and the chase. They probably don't give a shit anyway. Yeah. I don't think so, man. Like at one point I pulled one off and it was covered in blood, um, from the pig. And, uh, it was just like a comical scene. Cause like, I mean, kind of comical, kind of morbid, but I mean, this thing is like trying to get at it. And finally, when it calms down, it's just like wagging its tail and like panting. I'm just like petting its head. It's just like a normal pet. It's just got blood all over its face. <laughs> right. Just a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I was, I was wondering what it, what it's like the first time seeing something like that. Is it like a little bit unsettling or is it just, you know, you see these dogs that are just, I mean, they've got one job and that's literally just to go out there and find and kill these hogs for you. It's gotta be, gotta be a little unusual. It's weird, man. Um, as someone who doesn't have a background in running really hunting dogs at all, other than I've, I've done some tracking dog work with my dog and then with my neighbor who actually ran legit tracking dogs. My dog can, I wouldn't call him a tracking dog. He's a dog who has tracked. Um, but uh, yeah, watching them work like that is pretty wild. And yeah, man, like I'm, a, I mean, you kind of, I'm a little bit of a softy. Like I don't, I don't like watching shit suffer and stuff. So like watching some of those dogs kill those babies. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, I mean, dude, even with the dogs killing them, that's still some of the fastest deaths those animals could hope to get. And, right. to be honest, like, you've got to kill them. And, yeah, sure, is this the most efficient way to kill them? Probably not. But it's it's a, it, it's a kind of a cultural thing that they do down there, and it's pretty interesting. Like, they've been running, like, talking to the family, like, the, the younger guy, of the, the guys that we're with, like, his girlfriend, fiance, whatever, um, her family has been running dogs for generations. His family's been running dogs for generations. It's like a, and they met on a, on a pig hunt with dogs. Like it's pretty crazy. So along those lines, I don't know if you know the answer to this. How do you, do you know how long hogs have been a problem in this part of Texas or just in Texas in general? I mean, I know like up where we are, they really haven't made it, you know, up into, up into our region of where we're from up in Southwestern Virginia. Um, but they are expanding through the South. I know they're, you know, they're in the great Smokies, but I get, I'm just curious cause I really haven't done research. I'm not sure how long they've been, um, down there in Texas. Is this something that people have been doing for 20 or 30 years or do you have any idea? Uh, my understanding is it's definitely a lot longer than 20 or 30 years because he was saying how his grandpa was doing it. So, 
dude, I think they've been down in Texas since the, I think the, um, the Spanish when they brought the pigs over is my understanding is when all that, when all that happened and they've just kind of been going and growing in population. And actually the population of the Smokies is completely isolated from any of these Southern populations. Um, the Smoky population was really established when it became a park. All the homesteaders and the farmers that had all that land when they had, they had pigs out and they just left them. They just got up and left. And so those pigs went feral. And so you have more of a feral pig population that's out there. And then that's what I noticed very uniquely is I pretty much only saw black pigs in Texas when I was killing them in Georgia. I saw a ton of red pigs, black pigs, spotted pigs, all sorts of different colors, which is an indicator that there's a lot more of a, that like more introduced feral pig population from a lot of the farms. And I think the Texas population is probably I'm sure there's, there's feral hogs in there as well. And technically they're all feral hogs, but as far as like, I think there's some, it's more of a, I don't want to say a pure line, but like, I think it's an older group lineage as, as far as, yeah, the lineage of the genetics. And I could be talking on my ass here, but that was just kind of something that I observed anecdotally. So I was talking to the owner. I was like, do you guys see different colors? He was like, yeah, occasionally we'll see some red ones. And he's like, but I'll ask him about spotted ones. And he's like, no, not really. So I thought that was interesting. So you see a lot of spotted ones down in Georgia. Yeah, it is interesting because I didn't, I mean, I guess I knew that they were, they had been brought over from, you know, some of the, you know, early colonization efforts, but I, I'm, I'm curious if they were actually, I guess the extent of the, of the population and the extent of the problem down there, um, seems to me like just from what I've seen, um, maybe it's just due to due to social media and stuff, you, it's a little bit more visible now than maybe it was 20 or 30 years ago. But it seems like they're, they're dealing with more problems now than they, than they were back then, but that could be completely fabricated. Kind of. Um, it's kind of problems, but it's also kind of like, there's this massive industry, like go down there and find some farmers that'll let you kill pigs for free. I mean, obviously this guy does for, for me, but it's like a select group of guys, but for the most part, like everybody acts like pigs are this massive problem. But if you go knock on the door and you're like, Hey, can I kill some pigs? Like they're going to be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. 200 bucks. It's <laughs> a whole industry. I was talking to the, to the owner's son and I was like, you know, cause you know, we were kind of talking about how pigs being such a problem. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword though. Right. Cause if there was no pigs in the middle of fucking March, we couldn't be riding around on, excuse me, side by sides with pistols and knives trying to pop pigs and running them with dogs. Like you've got a level of no rules, I guess when it comes to pigs, because they are such of a problem. It's easy to justify some tactics that you probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing with whitetail, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting too, to see all the different tactics and, and styles that have evolved to kill these things. Cause I mean, you're right. Some of these things are not the most efficient, you know, you could go out there and, set your traps and bait them and do it that way. But there's, I mean, there's all sorts of different methods and, and approaches that have come about for kind of using, you hate to say it, but almost the entertainment value of it, whether it's chasing them with dogs or, or, um, you know, you see the guys, it's the videos going at them from the helicopters. Uh, there's a Tannerite Tannerite. Yeah. No shit. So maybe you sacrifice efficiency and maybe you, you know, at some point, it's 
how ethical is it? But if it's, if there's an entire industry and an entire, you know, subset of people that are providing, providing opportunities and generating revenue on all these different ways to go out there and at least attempt to deal with this management issue, then hey, it's fine by me. The most efficient way to kill them is crowd traps, man. That's what I was doing at Benning. Um, and I actually have had a guy that's been out there crowd trapping them. And we killed and saw way fewer uh, this trip than they did the last time they did this. And they were just could not figure it out. And um, they've really been hunting them hard. But they've also, I mean, that crowd trapper said he took off. I think they were telling me he, he, he killed a couple hundred in a few months. And I mean, that'll drastically reduce the population. It's the most efficient way. And it's really the only way to do population management is to remove entire sounders at a time because you're exponentially removing so many pigs. So Colin and I were talking about this. He's the the owner's son. He's my age. It's my first time meeting him. He's a little, he's like 25. Uh, Before he got there, I was like the youngest guy by like 25 years. (laughs) So it's kind of cool to have somebody a little closer to my age. We kind of pal around on bullshit. And, uh, but we were doing a little bit of beer math. So a female hog can have, um, we're, we're just doing like round numbers or like kind of on the conservative side. So like if she has three litters a year and she has six pigs per litter and 50% of those are female. And then by the time she does the, the third litter, the first litter is sexually viable. Right. And you like look at how many pigs she can have. Like we started doing all this math. And I think we got to, I don't remember all the numbers we used, but I think it was, she can have 124 piglets a year. And then you look at 50% of those being sexually viable before the end of the year. That's pretty crazy. And yeah. they're doing the exact same thing. You've got to remove uh, 70, 60 to 70% of the population a year to maintain your stable current population numbers. And I know that number is correct because I got that from the, the biologist on Fort Benning. Yeah, it's nuts, and it's no wonder when these these things get out and go go feral, and these these populations get established, particularly if you in an area where you don't have the hunting mechanisms already set up and in place, you don't have people um, that have you know the experience or the know how to go out there and knock those things down, kill, take out sixty or seventy percent of the population. It's pretty easy to see how it wouldn't take long before they just absolutely become a problem. Yeah, it's wild, and they do a ton of damage. I mean, they'll root up, tear up. Those big old boars will eat fucking anything. They'll eat fawns. They are absolutely devastating to turkeys um, because they'll just crush the eggs. All ground-nesting birds, but they'll eat the poults. They'll eat the eggs. Um, They'll eat young turkeys if they can get them, like, you know, not out of the poult phase, Uh, even, like, feathered birds. Um, Like, in the fawn thing, there's a picture – that we got during the brief when we were doing the trapping program on Benning of a big old pig that one of the biologists shot with a fawn in its mouth. That's ridiculous. Once they get huge, man, like they're damn near coyotes. Like they'll just eat anything. They eat piglets. They'll eat other pigs. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't give a shit. Like those things are just machines. Um, and those cutters, like I posted a few pictures of the one we got and I posted a video on Instagram I didn't, I didn't post the video of uh, the actual stabbings because I already, so it's kind of funny. One, I posted two videos to TikTok, to the new TikTok page, and uh, both of them were very quickly removed. And then, <laughs> of course um, they were. 
Yeah, of course they were. And then, but none of them were the stabbing ones. They were, they were like, just like the aftermath. And then I posted one of the aftermath videos to Instagram and it went up, but it's censored. Like you have to like click through the thing. But as soon as I posted that, we have all these products on the, like within Instagram, you can integrate your website to this shop. So you can have a storefront that links back to your website through Instagram. Like six of our products were then subsequently deemed to be like supporting the violence, uh, ammunition and explosives. No kid. Yeah. And I deal with this anyways, but I thought it was very coincidental that I haven't posted anything in a while that was like dead animals. And then I post that video and then all of a sudden, like literally it was like one, two, three, four, six, like, uh, the no week in the wild gray t-shirt, one of the blaze orange hats, the green hat. I'm trying to think what else there's like two or three other ones that were then taken down. <laughs> and I appealed them all saying like, these are uh, garments of clothing and they're still down. Wow. Usually I win the appeal and now they're not. So I'm like, huh? Okay. How long does that appeal process take? Usually a couple of days, but no, I, I think the appeal denied. I'm pretty sure the appeal got denied because usually it's back up and now it, I got another notification. So it's still down. So Damn, I think man. I think the Instagram storefront is going to be pretty barren. I'm not going to be able to tag products in the pictures anymore. Golly, the age of censorship we live in, dude. It's it's wild. Um, there's a guy that got on there and commented like, "I don't, you don't have Instagram, so you probably you have to look on Melissa's page to watch the video." It, it's just kind of showing the dogs and like everything in the aftermath, and then the pig and the hog is like kind of like kicks a little bit and like shutters. And the guy was like, Oh, you did a fucking video to, so, you know, you let that pig suffer. So you could take a TikTok video. I was like, not, not exactly. Dude. That, that pig was definitely dead. Like when things die, they don't just immediately like stop. Right. Yeah. Clearly <laughs> like that guy that has never actually experienced an anything. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, anything in, in its class. I mean, the thing's dead, but it's convulsions. You, you get those spasms. I mean, just doesn't know it's dead yet. And I, I was all, so Colin stabbed it and he did, we had to stab it. That means a big son bitch. He had to stab it four times. Wow. And on the fourth, he finally got it. And then they got the heart and like real good. And it was like, he was already like hemorrhaging, but it was just slow. And he, he hit it again. I gave him a longer knife and uh, he was able to then like really go all the way through this thing. And he, he hemorrhaged out. But it's just like, I don't know. There's just like this concept. One, that everybody on social media just feels the need to fucking talk shit. And then the other thing, it's like, dude, you, you clearly have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And also, I was the cameraman. I wasn't the stabber. So, like, I can show you the whole fucking thing while that thing did suffer a little bit if you really want to see it. And I can, <laughs> you know, right. like. <laughs> yeah, then you'll get all your shit flagged. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think. I don't. I got to see what YouTube's rules are. I think YouTube, you can post some more of that type of shit. So we probably need to start getting the YouTube page up and running. Uh, I know I've seen seen some pretty gnarly stuff on some pick guns on YouTube, but it's been a while. I don't know how how uh, how involved they've gotten with their own censorship on some of those hunts. It's wild, man. Like, I just I don't understand. Oh, one of the TikTok videos that got denied was Carter dragging his mule deer. No blood, no nothing. Just by the antlers, a gutted mule deer, just dragging it. And I got taken down immediately. I literally on the appeal was like, this is a guy dragging an animal. This is food. This is where food comes from. Right. Of course, it didn't get changed. But it's just like, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a dead body, man. People don't want to see it. They don't. They don't want to have to think about the fact that something died. Like I understand, like not wanting to maybe put on the video of like a stab in the pigs. Like that shit's a little intense. But dragging a deer with no blood—it's crazy. Well, there's just such a disconnect that, that most people have, and we we've talked about it before. We don't need to hash that out, but it just it just illustrates to me that that point which is most people just are so disconnected from the natural world they're so disconnected from their their own food they don't have any idea what it's like to to take an animal and actually process that thing yourself to drag the drag the the uh the carcass hang it up process the meat you know do all that yourself actually get your own hands dirty it's just such a disconnect that people have yeah and it's only getting worse i mean i think some people maybe had a little bit of a epiphany during covid when the meat shelves and everything went barren and that was cool but i I think that you know those are the type of people that were probably more in tuned anyways and it just kind of triggered something more versus everybody else it's just instead of having the reaction like maybe i should be more self-sufficient it's that i need to be taken care of more and more and more and it's a, it's a problem. You know, I think it's a problem across the board. It's like, look what happened in Texas with people freezing to death in their fucking homes and then kind of going off on a tangent here. But it's, I think it's, you know, it's applicable to this overall not having any sort of true understanding of how to one, like the natural world and two, how to have any sort of self-sufficiency and survival in any sort of circumstance. Yeah, it's interesting to me because you look at Texas specifically and you have this dichotomy here because here you have this this entire culture of people. You're down there on this hog hunt, running running hogs with dogs, stabbing them with knives, you know, people that are out there doing that kind of thing. You have, you know, this entire um industry in Texas around hunting and specifically hog hunting. On the other hand, you get this this snowstorm that comes in and most people that are used to dealing with cold, cold temperatures and snow during the winter months are sitting here, sitting here going, how is this, you know, this much of a problem? Well, they just didn't have, they weren't prepared for it. But to your point, people, you know, if they don't have the, the experience, if they don't have the mechanisms and they don't have the willingness to be self-sufficient, there's, there's a lot of people that are just, they're willing to, to be, you know, subservient to, to other people to be relying on others to not have to take the own um, initiative to do for themselves. It's fascinating to me that you can have that much of a dichotomy on those two extremes in one state, you know, like Texas, that's just, that's been something I've thought about. Well, you know, Texas is a huge state for one, and there's a massive, there's massive urban centers in Houston, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, then there's like the rural areas like where I was. And I would venture to say that most of the folks in those rural areas were okay. And I think that's how it is. And like, sure, in in Colorado, as far as our infrastructure goes and our ability to deal with snow, clearly it's a lot better. Like our grid doesn't go down. But if our grid did go down, just as many, if not more people would probably freeze to death in their fucking homes like the number of folks that don't actually know how to do anything like, or don't have any, haven't put any sort of thought in like a secondary heat source, you know, and that would probably be a good kind of uh, a topic for 
for a future episode, it'll be kind of talking about like some basic preparedness, not really survivalist type shit, but like just basic preparedness. Like, you know, everybody nowadays, and I see it all the time. I'm part of a few groups that are kind of some of the guys in them are a little bit prepper and they're all talking about like having fucking nods and, you know, like night vision and all these fucking weapon systems and all this shit and all that's, you know, all well and good. But do you know how you're going to get water? Do you know how to purify water? Do you have enough water? Do you have fuel? Do you have heat? Like, What's your heat source if your power goes out right now? What happens if you're fucking your natural gas lines to your, your home all of a sudden don't work because they've, they've frozen and cracked or what, or whatever happened down in Texas where they weren't getting heat. Like, you know, like, do you have a Mr. Buddy propane heater that you can run inside your house? Do you have the blankets? Do you have the flashlights? Like a lot of people don't have that type of shit across the board, whether you're in any state. And I think a lot of it is that urban versus rural. And and that's not blanket. There's a lot of prepared people in the urban areas and there's a lot of dipshits in the rural areas, but there's a level of, you know, there's people in urban centers that don't even cook dinner every night. Like they never cook dinner. They just get every meal, take out or eat out or whatever. They don't even have, you know, a car or utensils or any, anything because they're dependent on other people for everything else. And so, yeah, I don't think it's just, I see what you're saying with like the Texas thing, but I think it's, it's a little deeper than just like, like the old boys I was running with. I don't think we're phased by the cold, you know? No, no, I'm sure they weren't. And it, it is, it's relevant to, to the topic at hand because it's one of the things that that makes the people um, that enjoy hunting as part of their part of their lifestyle grew up with as part of their heritage. There's some commonalities there, and it is you know whether it's the rural urban divide or um, whatever. If you know how to go and get your own food you have the means to store it, if you have the means to process it yourself, you got your, your generator, um, you know, you've got a secondary heat source, wood stove, whatever. Um, there's some, there's some satisfaction there that comes with the, you know, knowing that you can take care of you and your own during an adverse situation that I think is something that's missing. And it's definitely one of the appeals of those of us that do enjoy this lifestyle um anyway that's that's my thought on that yeah i think it's it's definitely true um and i I think you know hunters are definitely more in tune but i also think that there's a different level there's different levels within the hunting community i see it all the time on social media when you know, they, it's very common and very popular to like always talk shit about Sika and guys that wear Sika. And for the record, I don't wear Sika. But a lot of those guys talking the most shit about it are guys that are hunting out of tree stands that they're driving to on either four wheeler or pickup truck. And they're sitting for a few hours and then they're going, you know, back to the house, sleep in a warm bed and shower. And they're like, oh, my fucking Walmart camo keeps me real fucking warm. It's like, all right, Jethro, like, go hang out on the mountain for fucking 10 days. Right. And then tell me how much your fucking, you know, $12 camos taking care of you. Like you need technical gear for technical pursuits. And so it's not all created equally. And I think, you know, as we, and that was one thing, it's, it's very easy for us to get wrapped up in how we do things and how we hunt. I mean, obviously we grew up as Eastern hunters. It's only recently that I've stepped outside of that, but I, I did grow up spending a lot of time in the back country, just hiking and backpacking. And then obviously in the army, I spend a lot of time 
I was in the light world doing living out of a rucksack. And so you learn those skill sets, but a lot of people don't have them. And even in the army, we have got a big, we, I think we've got an institutional problem with a lack of teaching true field craft. Like guys might know how to pack a ruck and might know how to, you know, sleep on the ground and endure some suck, but they don't actually know how to purify water. They don't actually know how to build a fire. Like the number of guys in my infantry platoon that couldn't build a fire, it was probably like almost all of them. I remember we were allowed to have warming fires one time and it granted it had been raining, but like they couldn't get, I built three fires for the platoon because they couldn't get the fires going in the rain. That's crazy to me. You know, infantrymen. And so yeah. we don't teach it. We, there's no focus on field craft anymore. We've gotten so used to like a GWAT fight where we're living out of fobs, you're sleeping on a cot or a bunk. You know, you've got access to some like basic, you know, you're, you're, you know, even if you're shitting in a, you know, in a port of shitter, you're still got the toilet. Um, you can't even dig like slit trenches anymore on most installations because of the sanitation requirements and, and shit from like the EPA and stuff. And so like, we've just got like this really big disconnect that's only getting worse on society and in the military is a microcosm of society, all that shit's bleeding over and we just don't have a focus on it. And I think it's going to bite us. It's going to bite some people in the ass. I think me and you are going to be all right. But Yeah. And it sounds like the guys that you were down there with running, running the hogs with the dogs, they'll probably be all right too. Yeah. Yeah. Them sons of bitches another way around pigs. Like I learned some stuff about skinning pigs with them and I've skinned quite a few pigs, you know, doing that trapping, but those guys, those guys could get the hide off a pig in the field pretty damn quick and get those things. So how many did y'all end up getting? Uh, 11 or 12. Nice. Was that all in one day or was there a couple days of it? No, that was a couple days. So that's all total. Um, that includes a couple of them got shot. Uh, but I don't think we probably stabbed seven. That's not counting the ones the dogs killed or the ones that like the baby babies, that, like the jokes that shows that, that uh, were killed. Um, dude. So the craziest story, I wasn't there. I just heard about it secondhand. So we were split up in two groups. We had two sets of dogs. And then a group of side-by-sides with each just like running down these trails. And uh, so the other group, they got on some pigs and there's this big old pond slash lake in the center or kind of in the center of the property. And it's like a big swamp. I guess it's not really a pond. It's like a big swampy pond. It's the best way to describe it. It's definitely not a lake. And uh, the bay dogs are, so these these aren't the pit bulls. These are like the, the hounds, the, the hunting dogs. They're swimming off to this pig. And so Dave's recapping this, like one dog would jump on the pig's back until it would get tired and then it would come off. And then another dog would jump on its back. And these <laughs> things like, no kidding. like systematically like drowned this thing <laughs> and they ended up dr- drowning this fucking pig. And one of the other guys, Rob was like, the damn dogs drowned the pig that I was supposed to stick. <laughs> <laughs> and they drowned this pig, dude. It was the craziest thing I've ever heard, man. I wish I had been there to get that on film. That reminds me of like, like pack predators working together to take down, take down a big animal of prey. That's nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what they were doing, dude. Um, they don't, those dogs, man, it's crazy. Like they will destroy those things. Like I kept a couple of the young ones, man. And when I was skinning them out, like from their necks down to their entire ass, like all the freaking, the back loin and, and back straps and everything was just like, bloodshot just from all the bite marks and shit like god damn that's crazy so were the uh were the other guys 
was was all the meat um, utilized, or is is a lot of it kind of ruined because of the the methodology with the dogs and the and the stabbing, or is a lot of it still good? Well, I came back with about eighty pounds of meat, um, give or take. I, I was the only one that really kept kept any meat. A lot of the guys that come down there from from elsewhere, it's just really for the camaraderie and the experience. And then the fellows that live there, I mean, dude, they kill so many fucking pigs. You know, I get it. Like, you, it's like killing coyotes. You know, in Virginia, like, even if you could eat coyotes, like, you know, you kill a dozen coyotes, how many are you gonna fucking keep? And so they they really will only keep those. You know, probably sixty to eighty pound sows um, is the ones that they like to keep, and they are you know they're tender, good eaten, but. You can eat any pig. Um, I used to, when I was trapping, I would keep every pig I trapped. Um, I would take the, the big old boars. It's actually what I'm doing right now. I, I cooler age the meat. And so the big old boars, I would soak in, in ice water for a day or two and then flush the water and then leave the ice um, with the drain plug pull out of cooler and just keep replacing the ice. And as it melts out, it just kind of flushes it. With these, I actually soaked them in water for about four or five days because there's just so much blood in the meat from all the trauma. I just really wanted to try to clean up all that. And honestly, all the meat looks pretty good. Um, it's pretty, pretty pink. It looks kind of more like what you pork you would find maybe in the supermarket. It's kind of cleaned it all up. So it's still cooler aging now. So it's been, yeah, it's been about, about seven days now since, since I butchered them up. So I'll probably, I was going to do it today, but that's probably not going to happen. I'll probably do it tomorrow or the next day. I'll go ahead and package it all up. You can turn it in a sausage or, I'll do a mix. Yeah, I'll do a, I'll do a lot ground into some breakfast sausage and then um, maybe some summer sausage. I want to do a venison. I really want to do like a three meat summer sausage just with the venison, the antelope and the wild pig. I think that'd be kind of cool. And then smoke it all up, make sure it gets the temp for the pig and then, you know, um, and then have that. But I'll do, uh, I'll do big, big whole roasts. Uh, so I kept, trying to think I kept two or three small ones and one good eaten sow. And so the good eaten sow, I'll probably, uh, keep her hams whole. I'll probably cut them into halves actually to to smoke. And then I'll do uh, her neck to smoke. And then I'll do her shoulders to smoke and then her ribs to smoke. And then I'll do her pork chops just as basically just like you would do tenderloin, um, on a deer or I'll cut them butterfly. I haven't really decided yet if I do them bone or not. And then the ribs, I'll just do like normal ribs. The smaller pigs, I think I'm going to grind most of them, but I want to do one that I split down the center and then smoke it in a quarter. I think that'd be kind of cool. Do any of the guys down there with any of the smaller ones or even the, the midsize sows, do they ever do like the uh, like the whole hog, you know, pig picking style, smoke it low and slow all day and do it that way? Or have you ever had that? I've never had that with wild pig, but they definitely do do it. It's a, it's definitely a thing. We had talked about doing it. We were going to actually do it with, with one of the ones, the smaller ones. Um, but we just ran out of time and it just really wasn't feasible with, with, we were all over the place when we were like running around chasing pigs and everything. So maybe in the future, if I'm invited back up, it's something we could do. It'd be pretty cool to, to kill one early and then smoke it all night and then have it for the next day. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Some of the, some of the best pork I've had has been that way. We've, I've done it a couple of times with some like, you know, domestic pigs for sure, but pasture raised. So they're not, not exactly, you know, like what you would expect on a, on a feedlot store-bought pig and just 
do the whole hog on a big big wooden smoker charcoal smoker it's it's delicious stuff i've been wanting to try a wild hog at that at some point if i ever get down there if you invite me to tag along one of these days yeah hopefully uh it's something that you know if not with these fellas that we can do with with another group or another ranch or even if we have to pay for it it'd be something i'd, I'd love to get a lot of the guys down and be a great hunt to do very social you know you're sitting around there's a lot of sitting around while you're waiting for the dogs to to hit on a track so you're sitting by the side by sides cracking a beer or whatever waiting and then it's all chaos once they hit a track well and also think it's something that would be good and it it fits well with with the message of what we were talking about earlier with being connected to your food there's this stigma around wild hogs and i think there's a lot of people out there that can wrap their heads around the idea that these hogs need to be killed they cause problems they create issues for wildlife, for farmers, for agriculture. There's a myriad of problems that they cause and they need to be killed for that, um, for that reason. But there's a lot of people that don't think, you know, that the meat is, is worth a damn and that it's not good. But, you know, that process that you were describing of doing the cooler aging, I know when we came down and visited you in Georgia and you cooked up some of that wild hog that you had trapped down there, Dude, it was delicious. I mean, it was great. And to be able to, if we could, you know, show, give people some insight on some of the different mechanisms or some of the different techniques that you've used to prepare these things and show that like, yeah, you take care of it, you do it right. It can be just as good as, you know, as the pork you're accustomed to eating. It's something that I think would have a lot of value. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. Um, that's something I've tried to talk to some of the, my Texas buddies about because they don't even, there's just like a really big thing in Texas where like, and I, I get it. They kill a lot of them, but it's like, you can't eat the pig, the big ones. They're gross. It's like, well, have you, you ever tried? <laughs> like if you ever tried it, cause like I've eaten them and I killed a 225 pounder down in uh, Georgia. It's that big red one. Uh, if you look on the website under our team, it's I'm, I'm sitting there with it. And that's some bitch ate great. I think that's what you had in Georgia when you were down there. Um, I think you had him and, one of his, um, his hams that I smoked and like, yeah, dude, it's, it's damn good. Um, people just don't know. You, you hear that everywhere. Like, Oh, you can't eat that. You can't eat this. Or you can't eat that. And it's like, well, you probably can. If you prepare it the right way, if you take care of it. I had a guy the other day tell me that venison's disgusting. He hates venison. And I was like, eh, nah, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? I actually just thought a roast. Cause I'm going to cook it up this week, this during this week and bring it to him at, at work and be like, all right, Try this. Yeah. Never had it cooked right, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes a difference. Your preparation, you know, your meat handling, everything from the field going out, you know, how you cook it. If you understand that you need to go low and slow on wild game or you need to go like pig, you have to go pretty much low and slow because you can't sear it and, and eat it rare. So you need to really get it to that pulling temp. Um, but man, it's, it's delicious. Yeah, for sure. I think it'd be fun to, to go down there and, and do some of that myself. Um, so wrapping up the hunt, um, how, so y'all were out there for, for a couple of days, got 10 or 11 hogs, um, process them all there. And then going forward, is this something that is going to be a recurring event? Is this something that, um, they do multiple times a year? Or is it just like kind of an annual thing? What's the, think of something you're going to be involved in again? 
well, the owner said, I'll see you next time before we left. So that's, that's a good sign that I'm going to get invited back. You know, it's one of those things that you never want to assume or, or take for granted the opportunity that I've got because um, Byron, you know, he he's extremely gracious that he brings this group of guys out there. Uh, he could, you know, if he wanted to monetize this, he could charge $250, $500 a person for this kind of thing. And, and he doesn't, he just, lets us come out there and, and hunt and, and hang out and puts us up. And it's, it, it's just pretty awesome of him. So, you know, I, I don't want to assume that that's something I'll be invited back to, but it, it sounds like I will. And so, you know, I, I told him as long as I'm invited, I'll keep coming. Um, hell dude, even if I sat at camp and just cooked and hung out, like just hanging out with those guys and those group of guys here in the stories, these are all dudes that have been there, done that. I've been involved in like the special operations community for years. There's, you know, one of the guys, he wasn't at the third, the first time he was on this hunt. He's a, you know, he was a, a green beret back in the, uh, the seventies and eighties. And so he had a very different and unique perspective to be able to talk to him about the seventies and eighties in the army. Then, you know, he, he was dealing with a lot of the drug issues coming out of Vietnam all the way through like, you know, desert storm and all that kind of stuff. So it's was, it was pretty cool to, to kind of have that generational discussions and how much of the military's changed and then how much of it's exactly the same thing same so it, just that makes it very valuable in and of itself so I'll, I'll definitely keep coming back um meeting colin uh, byron's son was pretty awesome we're trying to put together an all-dad hunt for new mexico this year um that might be something i don't know i know you're talking about trying to come out west you can actually grab an otc out ad um tag to hunt barberry sheep in new mexico so i don't know how high the harvest stats are for barberry sheep over the counter in New Mexico, but I said, fuck it, I'll go. So as long as I can swing it with the schedule, obviously I have the baby on the way, but in work, I just found out that I'll be, uh, I'll be taking command in May. So my schedule for work is probably going to be getting a little more less flexible. I would say staff life, you're busy, but usually it's pretty easy to sneak away if you want to uh, commands a little more, uh, hard and fast with, with some of the, the dates. Yeah, well, that sounds that sounds good to me. If if you do end up going out to New Mexico, definitely keep me posted. And if it's something that makes sense, and I think I can swing it, I'll be down. Regardless of even if it's not the highest chance of success, it'd be fun just to make the trip. Definitely a species I'm not familiar with, so it'd be cool to go go to a new part of the world and chase that thing. Yeah, it'd be really cool to go kill a sheep that's native to. Was it North Africa? Thanks for Barbary sheep or are native. So that'd be pretty wild. Yeah. But uh, I actually didn't, I guess. So I only, I only stabbed one. Uh, we kind of took turns. Everybody stabbed one. I, I didn't really talk about this. Um, my dude, mine was wild. Did I send you a picture of the, the, of its leg? No, I don't think so. So he was a younger pig. Um, I don't know. Maybe. 10, six, 10 months, somewhere in there. Like, I don't feel like it was a full year old. And this thing, his leg was all fucked up. And I thought the dogs had done it at first because it was kind of bloody on its back of its neck. His ear was kind of torn up from the dogs that gotten hold of it. And um, so I stab it, which was kind of anticlimactic. I was expecting to be a lot more hyped and a lot more like, like get an adrenaline rush. I didn't really, it's almost surgical. I didn't really feel anything. It was just, I don't know. I was just expecting more. It was just like, well, it was just kind of like, okay, here it is. Stabbed it, bled it. It died. You know, when you, by the time I got up there on it, I just wanted to stab it because the thing was fucked up. So I just wanted to like put it out of its misery, you know? So I just got it done and 
kind of was what it was. Um, it wasn't as like of emotional event as I kind of expected it to be, but I'm looking at this thing as I'm carrying it out. And I, I'm like, oh, that's weird. That's like got a compound fracture, the bone sticking out. And I was like, huh, I guess the pigs fucked it up well, or the dogs fucked it up. And when I got it hanging and I was like, started to get it hanging up and I gutted it. I'm looking at this. The bone was completely picked clean. It looked like a bone you would find in the woods. No this way. thing, this thing, and it was healed around it in the, the quad was atrophied. So the quad was significantly smaller than the other one. So this had to be months old that this thing's been running around on three legs with a compound fracture, with this bone sticking out. Wow. It was, it was like a full dislocation at the joint and the cartilage was picked completely clean. And it was like a white pale bone. Dude, that's nuts. Dude, their will to survive is absolutely impressive and insane. It's the wildest thing. Pigs are so resilient. Like you got to respect them as a, as a species, like especially for one that small, that young. I mean, that's typically, insane. typically your, your juveniles in most species, you know, they're, a little bit more quick to to perish from some sort of traumatic injury like that. It sounds like that's, that's crazy. Wild man. And there's a ton of coyotes out there, bobcats, coyotes, big pigs, like just the fact that it's been running around to the point that it's and like, you could tell the hoof, it was still running on that hoof. It was just obviously running in a wonky sort of way. Cause the fucking femur bone was sticking out. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I've seen a lot of animals in the woods and I've killed a lot of animals. I've never seen anything like that, dude. It was the wildest thing. I'll, I'll, I'll try to post it on Instagram just so folks can see it. Probably will get taken down, but yeah. it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Put a uh, put a poll up there or something. See if anyone has any good guesses as to what would have caused that. And if anyone's ever seen anything like that before with with a hog, because that's that's nuts. I definitely wouldn't expect to see something like that on a you know on a deer. Here, just so you can know what I'm talking about, I'll shoot you a picture of it right now. Because, yeah, yeah it, it's it's absolutely insane, man. Um, they're just... They're tough critters. They're just so tough. Like, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, And they're so adaptable. I mean, they can live anywhere. Like, they were, like some of the guys were asking, they're like, do you think the freeze... Because like, the population seemed low. They're like, do you think the freeze did them in? And they were, they were asking some of the local guys. And I was like... Guys, I don't think the freeze fucking like these pigs live in damn Siberia. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I might have taken out a few, but I doubt some it. of the baby babies. Sure, yeah, I doubt but, it had a real population level impact. No. Um. All right, here I'm sitting it right now. The, the blood that's on it is just blood that I got on it when I was gutting it. Um, that thing was picked completely clean. Crazy, absolutely fucking crazy. But yeah, it was definitely a cool hunt, man. It was, it's a very casual hunt. Like I was saying, you're running around in side-by-sides. Dude, these guys do not fuck around with their side-by-sides. They've got some slick rigs. We're going like 45, 50 miles an hour on these old logging trails, like just flying. Dang, dude, yeah, I'm just looking at this picture now. That's crazy. That's absolutely insane. It looks like a cleaned chicken bone. Yeah, it really does. That's wild. Have the guys there ever seen another one like that? No. Nope. Nobody ever seen like we were all just like in yeah, awe. That, that definitely wasn't the dogs, was it? No. 
No, that was old. I tossed that hand, that whole ham, dude. I, I was like, ah. Yeah, probably, I'll me on that one. <laughs> it's probably infection. Honestly, though, when I cut it open, it looked fine. But I was like, I'm not, I'm not risking this for a few pounds of meat. <laughs> like, no, I'm not I'm, mixing that into sausage. I'm going to feed my pregnant wife, and no, I'm all about potentially eating. my baby. Yeah, I'm all about utilizing your your harvest. But yeah, at some point you got to weigh a little bit of pragmatism. That's that's definitely not not worth eating that that crap. No, not when we killed fucking 11. Right. So the only reason I even kept that one, because that was the one I stabbed. If if I hadn't killed that one, I'd have tossed it and just kept one of the other ones. But um, I was like, I, I want to keep the one that I killed. So I kept it. Yeah. But yeah, my kill was kind of anticlimactic because it was already kind of fucked up. So like it was just like sitting there and it was smaller. <laughs> the big boy, dude, that one was intense. We had to go far for that one. And uh, we got in there and the pit bulls were like on it hard. Ruby was kind of cut up a little bit, the the uh, bay dog. And, like, this thing was big. And we got on there, and, like, Colin wasn't fucking around. Like, he was like, yeah, we got to get it. Like, he was like, God, God, and started hitting this thing. <laughs> How many dogs do they use on a big that size? Well, Ruby had that thing bait up for, like, 30 minutes by herself. And this dog, dude, this Cowboy. dog probably weighed 35 pounds. Damn. How she had she had this thing she had it bait lost it and then baited it up again in the creek, and uh, then we let the we we got up there we had to go we ended up like going around her elbow to get to our asshole because when we walked out we just walked straight down to the you know two hundred meters to the side by sides but when we went up they were further up north and so we had to walk up go all the way around like this big ass hill. Um, dude, I was breathing hard. I was like, God damn. <laughs> we, everybody was. We were panting by the time we got to the top. And uh, we come back down and around. They let the the bulldogs off, and that was crazy, dude. They're like missiles, man. They're just, through the through the undergrowth, you get cut to hell too. You're in all those Texas freaking just thick ass undergrowth briars. My arms look like I don't know. Just scratched all the hell. Learned very quickly to go in there with your hoodie. You might sweat more, but at least you're not getting cut to shit. Yeah. Come out looking like. One of those hogs getting getting ripped up under there. Yeah, but we got him and put him down. It was an awesome way. That was the last one we killed, and it was just a great way to end the hunt. It was the, the most exciting for sure, and it was a it was a hell of a hell of a trip. Definitely hope to get invited back. It was cool. Yeah, man, sounds like it. I think it's something that if you get the opportunity to do again, go down there and hang out with those you know guys of that caliber, like I say, with that kind of experience. It's always that's always a good thing. That's that type of that type of uh, knowledge and just just life life lessons is invaluable. So just the opportunity to go meet those guys and spend more time down there that alone makes the trip worth it. I'm sure. Yeah, it absolutely does. I, I definitely definitely grateful for the opportunity. Well, cool, man. Well, you got anything else for us? I know. Um, I know you had your your conversations with with uh, Caleb and those guys down there that we'll probably be hearing from at some point. Um, anything else on this Texas trip before we wrap this one up? No, um, just thank you to Caleb for putting us up, and thank you for Garrett for hanging out. Um, I don't think I'm going to let you pick the brunch place next time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a story there. <laughs> He sends up the the link to this place, and I didn't really pay much attention. One, it was like an hour and a half from Caleb's house on the other side of Houston, which is damn near Galveston. 
I was like, fuck, we should have bought the fishing poles and just went and damn fished. And then uh, I didn't realize that this was a pretty nice place. So I showed up. I was wearing damn Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> so I changed into my boots. I only brought two pairs of shoes, my hunting boots and my Crocs. So I put my hunting boots on. So I at least that didn't have Crocs on, camo Crocs. These things are covered in pig blood. I was like, good Lord, Garrett, you could have warned us. <laughs> Keeping it classy, man. Oh, always, man. So yeah, we got to, we definitely got some looks when Caleb was wearing Chuck Taylors with his damn mullet and head lettuce hanging out everywhere. We looked, we were a sight for sore eyes, man. <laughs> Fucking hillbillies, but yeah, it's not not the first time that we've not the first time that we've uh, we've called some heads a turn. Probably won't be the last either. No, no, yeah, wouldn't be the first time we've been accused of being the help either, huh? No, nah. no. Nah. Yeah, that's, that's a story for for another day. Um, yeah, oh, one thing we did forget to do is uh, sh- shout out our favorite mortgage lender. Oh yeah, there you go. He's not getting in the middle. He's getting at the end of this episode. Keep people on the edge of their seats. Yeah, made you guys wait to the end. But yeah, so um, we've definitely talked about it. You guys have, have heard about Casey. Uh, Casey is a lending agent with Prime Lending. He does, he specializes in, in home mortgages for owner-occupant homes and does a great job with all VA loans, but he can do anything conventional, FHA, USDA, any type of, of, of loan. Uh, he, he's your guy. Known Casey for going on shit 10 years now. Uh, one of my really good friends, had him at my bachelor party, had him at my wedding. He's done, handles all Perry's loans, Evan's loans. He did John and Andrews. He's the only guy we trust to, to push out across the team and that I recommend to people. And I recommend Casey not only because he's my buddy, but because he's really good at what he does. And he's an honest guy who's going to take care of you. And he's going to make sure that he educates you throughout the whole process. He makes the process easy as hell. He takes out all the work, takes out all the mystery, all the guessing games. He doesn't play games with any sort of numbers. He, he simplifies the whole process and he'll just take care of you from start to finish. So if you guys are looking to buy a house, if you guys are looking and he can, he'll practice anywhere. He's licensed in all 50 States. So he can do, do it all uh, remotely all over the place. Um, I'll drop all his contact information in the show notes. So go there to get his website, his email address and his phone number. But I mean, Casey's absolutely phenomenal. Perry, you got anything on case? No, you hit it pretty well. He's, he's great at what he does. Uh, like I said, we've all used him. I've got at this point. I can't, can't count how many people I've, I've recommended him. And, and the great thing about him is he's, he's absolutely willing to work with you. He makes it, he makes the whole process seamless and effortless on your end. Um, on the other hand, he's he's well versed in what he does. He knows it like the back of his hand. And you know, if there's if there's a better option for you out there, then he's he's not afraid to to um, you know to tell you what your options will be. Which when you're talking about you know financing, when you're talking about um, those types of decisions, it's always good to know that you're dealing with somebody that has integrity, that's you know authentic. And that at the end of the day has your best interest at heart. And that's, that's absolutely what Casey does. So yeah, go, go hit him up, go take care of him. And don't wait to call him just when you're buying a home. If you already own a home and you bought it a few years ago, back when mortgage rates were really high. Uh, like I know I bought my house, my first house back in 2017, I got like a four one uh, interest rate, which was like a steal at the time. Uh, obviously they're a lot lower now. Um, can't go into any specifics for what he might be able to do for you, but just call him and get a quote uh, on a refi. He, he might surprise you and, and definitely make it worth it for you, make it worth your time. And he'll make sure that he makes it super easy and is most beneficial to you. I mean, 
Casey, uh, with Perry's deal, not to go into too many specifics, but you ended up walking away with a little cash from your refi. Yeah, it was wild. I refied and at the end of the day ended up with a little bit of cash in my pocket. I was like, man, I don't even know how you did this, but he worked that magic and, and, uh, it, it was great. He explained it all to me. And I mean, I got a, got a, got a great deal and, and just couldn't be more appreciative. So definitely, definitely go hit him up for, for all your financing needs. And Perry had kind of a unique circumstance. It's not to say to refi with Casey and he's going to put cash in your pocket, but you know, who knows it might happen. You can, you, you just got to call him and, and ask and find out. So definitely go check out the show notes, um, grab all this contact information. You can reach Casey by phone at 919-710-1864 or by email at casey.burns at primelending.com. You can also go check out his web sh- his website for all of his reviews by visiting www.closewithkc.com. Thank you guys so much. Let him know that the Hunt Lift Deep podcast sent you guys. Well, shit, man. After our plug for Casey there, I guess we can go ahead and wrap this thing up, huh? Yeah, sounds good. We've been going at it for a while now. So um want to thank everyone, as always, for listening. We really appreciate you. You guys are great. Um, we love all the support. Continue to to hit us up with all the feedback. Um, leave us a, a five-star rating, review. Um, Luke, you want to hit them with your, with your uh, social media? Yeah, if you're not already following us on Instagram, follow us at HuntLiftEatOfficial. And if you want to follow my personal page, you can check me out at luke.d.cox. And definitely go check out the website, huntlifteat.com. We've got some new merch. We've got some restocks up, um, a bunch of the, new, the hats. And then once again, if you like any of the hoodies, you need to get them now because once the hoodies are gone, they're gone. And we're really getting really low on stock in uh, certain sizes. So we're going to start running out of stock on these hoodies and we're not going to get them back in. We'll have a redesign for next year, but these hoodies will not look the same going forward. Yeah, and they're good hoodies, man. I love mine. They're they're super soft. My wife's all the time stealing mine. So if you like what you see, go get them now before they're before they're all gone for sure. Oh, we also have the uh, Hunt Lift Eat baby onesies with the baby deadlifting bear up there now. If you've got a small child, you want to slap some some gear on. Hell yeah, those things are awesome. I, th- I think that's going to be a big hit, man. Yeah, I've already been having asking, or I've already had folks asking for t shirts for kids and all that and that. So I think that'll be on the works probably when I get back from NTC. Yeah, I got to get a couple of those for my, my young ones. They're a little bit past the, the baby stage, but definitely got to get them repping some of the gear. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. Yeah, it'll be fun. Well, good deal, brother. Well, um, thanks again, as always. Um, we really appreciate you guys, and we will talk to you next time.